you like action and suspense, you are very probably listening to the wrong podcast. However, if you like to hear slightly nerdy young men discuss baseball in disgustingly reasoned tones, this is exactly the right place. It is Fangraphs Audio. I am Carson Sestouli, your host. Today on the show, we bring into the fold and sit about the round table with our full-time employee, Dave Cameron, our ace of database, Matthew Carruth, and a rogue appearance from Rotographs contributor, Zach Sanders. Our topic today comes from listener Phil. Phil asks, which of those statistics that exist today are most helpful in understanding a player and team's performance, and perhaps differently, which of the new ones are destined to be forgotten? We go all the way around the table and ask each of our contributors to isolate one stat that they believe is both most effective for analyzing teams and players, and perhaps more interestingly, those new metrics, or new-ish metrics, which are destined to fall by the wayside. Come join us on this shockingly reasonable adventure on this particular edition of Fangraphs Audio. Yes, indeed, welcome to Fangraphs Audio. We are sitting here about the incredibly round table. We have three gentlemen from the Seattle area, so uh, if anyone is going to accuse us of bias ever. This is the episode to do it. Uh, not that they ever would. That would be ridiculous. Uh, our full-time employee, you'll know him not only from our pages, but also from Wall Street Journal, USS Meritor. It is Dave Cameron. How are you doing, Dave? Did you forget my name, person? I did forget your name. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe you should get it tattooed on your hand. <laughs> get it tattooed on my hand. Uh, well, you know, being in Portland uh, and not having a tattoo is actually a lonely feeling. I bet. Yeah, there are a lot of them around here. If I wanted to get a tattoo, I could probably step outside my door and do it. Uh, moving from North Carolina all the way to the northwest, uh, where I am as well, we have joining us from a, is it a, from a glistening tower, Matthew Carruth? No, still no glistening tower. I'm always expecting you to be in some sort of glistening tower. Have you ever been to Seattle? Yeah, isn't it just full of glistening towers? Our towers are pretty dirty. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Tokyo. I get the two Vancouver, possibly. Vancouver's very clean, and they, they have a lot of very nice new towers. One of those places up there. Okay, you're joining us via Mac today, and so we are, we're watching that. Yes, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, and finally, last, but definitely not least, joining us from uh, the Seattle, Seattle environs is Zach Sanders, a contributor to our Rotographs blog. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing good, and I would actually say that I'm least here, so don't be afraid to use that name. Oh, um, are you are you in a glistening tower? Oh, I wish I was. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, listen. Uh, today we're getting ideas from uh, a reader, which is or a listener, I guess, which is uh, unique for us. Not not that uh, we have a listener, but that we're getting ideas from them. But uh, it's something that's always to be excited. This comes from uh, listener Phil, right? And this is our first topic of the day. We'll see how long it goes. Phil writes an interesting topic for a podcast. Might be to ask a few of your uh, a few of your guests which statistics are most helpful in understanding a player's and team's performance, and which of the new ones are destined to be forgotten. He continues. Uh, you've probably read the old Bill James abstracts, and you probably know that he invented and described new measures every year. What impressed me more, and I'm a genetics professor, so I appreciate research methods, was when he was willing to go back and say that this one he invented a few years ago simply wasn't that good. It gave credibility to the ones he was using. Um, this is from a learned listener slash reader 
he was excited by the fact that Bill James would, you know, frequently go back and say, well, I, I was on the right path for what I knew at the time. However, uh, now knowing what I do, um, I have to reflect and say that was kind of dumb. Anyway, uh, so there are, you know, we're, especially in fangraphs, we're knee-deep in uh, statistics and acronyms. Um, and some of them uh, are always coming new to the site. Our, our overlord is uh, pretty good about that. Um, but, of course, I think that uh, one thing we have to realize is where we're standing at any given point and the fact that, you know, some stats just um, become redundant uh, or, you know, perform their uh, duty less well than other things that are available. So I thought we'd go around and maybe just start looking at some that uh, meet uh, listener Phil's um, criteria here. Some of the statistics that are most helpful in understanding a player and team's performance, and then the new ones, the ones that may be even coming out now that we think are destined to be forgotten. Uh, let's see, who should we start? Well, let's start with our full-time employee. Dave Cameron, is there anything sort of off the bat that uh, rings true as far as as far as this prompt? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, over the maybe last 10 years, one of the things that I've liked, um, especially with the batted ball stats, is we've gotten maybe away from uh, stats that try and encompass everything all at once, and we've done a better job of focusing on statistics that tell you one thing or one characteristic about a player. Like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, it was really hard to figure out what a guy's ground ball rate was. Like, you know, you could go to, like, stats Inc. and get a ground ball fly ball ratio, but, you know, we've talked about why that could be misleading and it was just you know it only included outs and um you know trying to find out what kind of pitchers got a lot of ground balls was not that easy but you know now with the advance of batted ball stats we have numbers that do a really good job of explaining a certain uh aspect of a player's game so now that we know that tim hudson gets a ton of ground balls that helps offset his lower strikeout rate or you know we can look at a guy's homer to fly ball rate and say okay this might be one aspect of why he's uh got a lower era than we would expect given his peripherals so we have stats that I think are useful to describing a certain thing where you can look at them together and get a better picture of the player where we've kind of gotten away from that, you know, like look at WIP or something or ERA or these stats that try and tell a big picture thing and exclude a lot of important information. So I think that uh, in this day and age, we've done a, a better job of getting statistics that do one thing well rather than do try and do everything and end up doing it mediocrely. So I think that's... Um, probably one of the good advances we've made, and I would encourage people when they're trying to figure out what stats to look at to figure out how a player does it is look at a lot of different metrics that tell one aspect of it and then put them together and uh, kind of look at across the board kind of like a prism. You know, you, you mentioned the batted ball stats, and, and obviously, I mean, I can remember even five, six years ago trying to find, you know, a uh, hitter batted, uh, you know, ball and play average or something and not, you know, and really having to search for it. Um I know that the very intelligent Colin Wires, uh, sometime in the last month or two, uh, posted something over a baseball prospectus where he, he, and maybe he was overstating the fact, um, but he, obviously he, he cares about it, works with it a lot, so it would have, you know, some sort of effect on him. Uh, and he was kind of bemoaning the, the lack of maybe, uh, dependable, uh, reports for batted ball stats, like, you know, ground balls are pretty consistent, you know, uh, stadium to stadium, but maybe fly balls are line drives. I'm wondering, you know, you, you, you say we should depend on them. How do we deal with that, the uncertainty in terms of classifying certain batted ball types? Yeah, I think that's probably, you know, to answer part of the second question, it's something that may go away in 10 or 15 years. I don't, I don't anticipate that in 15 years we're still going to have line drive percentage. I would imagine at that point, hopefully we will have developed enough cameras or have the technology to where we could just say, you know, the average 
speed of the ball off the bat of this guy is 86 miles an hour at this angle, you know, and we know that that lands for a hit 92% of the time, or, you know, uh, they, they hit the ball off of Todd Wellemeyer 109 miles an hour, which is why he's horrible, or, you know, we'll have these much better calculations rather than some guy in a booth deciding whether it's a line drive or a fly ball. Uh, I mentioned ground ball percentage in large part because, you know, anyone can really kind of tell what a ground ball is. There's not a whole lot of controversy around that. There is problems with the line drive, fly ball, liner, liner uh, categorization, and I think that will be one thing that probably goes away in 10 or 15 years. But for now, I do think, I mean, I respect call it a lot. I do think some of his concerns are maybe a little bit overstated. Um, there's a, BIS does a great job of double-checking and cross-checking everything and rotating scores, and so there's just not that much room for significant uh, systematic bias to really screw up the stuff. I mean, it's not to say everything's going to be right or that they are 100% accurate, but I, I don't believe there's systemic bias in the batted ball classifications of our stuff on the site. Okay. Um, Chris, let's move to you. I'm going to give you, uh, give you two prompts here, and you can choose. Uh, one is you can maybe rebut or add to anything uh, that Dave Cameron said, or if you'd like to introduce... Uh, another stat that you think is either particularly good, uh, well, let's say particularly good for this this case. So either either uh, rebut Dave or uh, submit a, submit another stat for our consideration. Well, far be it for me to ever really rebut anything Dave says because they all we all of our ideas pretty much come from the same well anyway. So, uh, but I would say uh, so adding on some other stuff that I think uh, would be around at least in some form or another is kind of the generally growing awareness of swinging strikes for pitchers as a measurement. Uh, where that goes, I don't know yet, whether it's developing models of, of strikeout prediction or finding discrepancies in players that miss a lot of bats but don't yet get strikeouts or anything like that. But I, generally, I think, you know, for a long time, ERA was king, or, well, I guess wins were king, and then we kind of moved to ERA, and then people started trying to paying started to paying attention to how much valuable getting strikeouts are for pitchers, and I think slowly it's starting to move into well the key motivator for getting strikeouts is being able to miss bats, and just as we went from like wins as the premier measurement to ERA to now kind of like strikeout rate, I'm thinking it's eventually going to move to swinging strike rate, uh, perhaps in some sort of strikeout model, but at least a greater emphasis on, on missing bats. Yeah, now what sort of uh, correlation, I mean, of all the things we we know and we can record, you know, within, pretty simply at least, uh, is swinging strike rate, is this, does this have the highest correlation to strikeouts? I mean, it... Uh, By far. Uh, oh, it does? Okay, so... so um, oh, yeah. So if I look at a if I look at a pitcher if I look at a list of swinging strike rates for pitchers right and uh, I think I was doing that just just uh, last night and so I see like Tim Lincecum at the top and Dan Heron, Um and if I keep going down that list and then I also look at a list of guys and their strikeout per nine rates are those lists going to be exactly the same? Well, no. Uh, the the correlation between swinging strikes and strikeout rate is uh, off the top of my head I think it's somewhere around 0.75 to 0.8. Uh, but what's interesting about it is, you know, you can divvy up every pitch that a pitcher throws can be categorized as either a swinging strike, a called strike, a foul ball, uh, a ball in play, or a ball. And uh, excluding things like, I guess, like catcher's interference is technically a pitch. Uh, I don't know what that would fall under. But of those five, obviously, like, balls, 
to strikeouts doesn't have a great correlation. There's a sort of inverse correlation because the more strikes you throw in general, the more strikeouts you get. But um, contact doesn't really have any correlation. And perhaps surprising to a lot of people and to myself when I found this, called strikes to strikeouts shows almost no correlation. Oh, it basically almost seems to be this just this random fluke. Uh, I guess statistic, not even statistic necessarily, but uh, there doesn't seem to be a, a huge pattern or skill in turning getting called strikes into strikeouts. Well, that sounds peculiar because, so, as a, I mean, just as a baseball fan, I think uh, you know, I think of watching like Barry Zito pitch or uh, you know anyone with either you know like the Barry Zito sort of looping curveball or maybe like. Um, I don't know, you know, like a Michael Wirtz slider that he throws inside to a righty, where there's just like, you know, the batter's not going to swing, and so he'll just watch it go, and, you know, maybe in this case Wirtz decided to, uh, you know, to throw it for a strike as opposed to out of the zone. It, it, so, but you're telling me that from what we can tell from the data, um, even though this this sort of, I noticed as strongly as a viewer, maybe as a, uh, I mean, when we look at the numbers, it's not borne out that this is actually a repeatable skill. Well, it's not that it's necessarily unrepeatable. It's just that as your as a pitcher gets more and more called strikes, uh, there's no there's no pattern that he gets more strikeouts. Huh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, well, well, thanks for that. That's great. Uh, Zach Sanders. Zach Sanders, you're here too. You're a smart guy. Uh, what do you? And 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 I don't know if you maybe even would have a, a sort of fantasy angle on this that might be something that you'd provide i i don't i don't uh, uh, think i can read your mind but uh what do you have for us here i think what we're we'll probably see going forward and the stuff we've mentioned so far is great especially the swinging strike stuff is we'll see some more sophistica sophistication in the way we use pitch fx data i mean we have our pitch type values now but say i mean it's a oh count you throw a fastball right down the middle they don't swing, it's a called strike, you're getting positive value, even though, well, that's probably not the best pitch to throw, you don't want to throw a fastball right down the middle, you prefer it to be low in the zone. And so we'll eventually, I think, get some kind of system where we can work out, well, well, this pitch, the location was good, maybe the result wasn't, what do we say the pitch was, was it a good pitch or a bad pitch? We'd probably say it's a good pitch, because we don't need to look at results all the time. And I think you will see, even in fantasy baseball, a lot more of that stuff when evaluating pitchers, because we know fantasy players like to say that Pitching is hard to get because it's so hard to predict and it's so fluky all the time. And if we can have even more data on those players and even more knowledge available very easily about what they're throwing and maybe you gravitate towards one player or another, and that can help out, I think, everyone fantasy and real-life baseball. What do you, as a, as a fantasy player and as a fantasy uh, you know, commentator, what's a stat that maybe didn't even exist like two years ago um, that you, you use with some frequency now? Or at least maybe something that you weren't necessarily aware of two years ago. Um, I'm starting to use FIP and XFIP a lot more. A couple of years ago, I wasn't so turned on to those things. I hadn't seen a lot of them. And I'm starting to evaluate pitchers a lot more that way. Instead of looking at, well, this guy's ERA is high, I can say, well, it may have been high, but he's still doing things right. I'm not overly concerned about him. And stuff like BABIP and, stu- and left on base percentage, the simple fluky stats are, are becoming a lot much more prevalent in every kind of analysis because we can say, well, you should buy low on this guy because he's most likely just being unlucky and he can come back and it won't be a fluke this time. Okay, all right. Uh, Cameron, I'm going to move on to you, and I, and I want to find out maybe some stats uh, you know, to, to follow up on listener Phil's uh, question, you know, his prompt, you know, some stats that you think we won't be seeing 
at some point, and, and you started to answer that. I, I, there's actually sort of an aside here that I'd like to introduce, though. Um, and as you, as the, the full-time employee of Fangraphs, might have a better hold on this than anyone, um, the thing that Zach is talking about there is how a lot of people are using uh, these advanced metrics, the, the batted ball stats, the peripheral stats, for advantage in fantasy baseball. I'm curious if what your sense is, because I think I originally got interested in Fangraphs for that reason, um, and I think a lot of people come to it. That's so. That's step number one. Is like, to what degree do you think people come to uh, the advanced stats purely for fantasy reasons? And two, I noticed that a lot of guys who write for Fangraphs don't actually play fantasy baseball. I think you're one of them. Why is that the case? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely a crossover. I mean, it comes down to motivation. So I think that the players who play fantasy baseball have motivation to understand how these guys' performance is projected going forward maybe more so than an average fan who's just watching the game. So I think that uh, there's going to be some necessary crossover between projecting future performance in fantasy players just because they have fantasy players have a vested interest in knowing what's going to happen in the future. Uh, so I think there's always going to be that kind of crossover where it's not necessarily that maybe we're not necessarily appealing to the fantasy player on purpose, but the fact that these kind of advances in understanding player performance will also appeal to players who have fantasy teams and fantasy drafts and are trying to make trades and that kind of thing. Um, for people like me, you know, I played fantasy baseball as a teenager, and then I just got really busy and had to cut things out of my life, and that was one of the things that went. And I honestly, like, I mean, not that I look down on anyone who plays fantasy baseball, but I kind of enjoy the game a little bit more when I'm not sitting there rooting for my pitcher to do well or get a strikeout because it will help me in points, and I can just sit there and appreciate the game for what it is or evaluate the pitcher for what he's throwing. Or uh, I, yeah, I guess I have found that I have some more enjoyment of the game when I'm not rooting for a particular outcome and I can just enjoy what's happening or at least try to evaluate what's happening uh, and not have my hopes up or down based on whether a guy gets a single or a double or, you know, whatever's ha- going to actually happen in the okay, game. Okay, well, that's so, fine. Cameron, I, that's, that's fine. That's a fine reason to watch. You're absolved. Yeah, right. You're absolved. Thank you. I, I, I was not trying to wash away guilt or anything. I was just uh, explaining my... Right. Well, it's because you're not Catholic. If you were... Right. That's how we roll. Anyway, um... Let's move on to the, 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 the sort of second half of uh, listener Phil's prompt, which is stats that, you know, even new metrics that, that we have that, uh, you know, that may not necessarily have a long life um, because we're finding something we're finding something better, a better alternative. Yeah, I mean, I think it will be interesting to see, uh, especially for Fangrass, because a huge significant uh, part of the surge in readership over the last year has probably been because we're kind of become the home of UZR and defensive statistics. And, you know, I've been one of these guys pushing the value of defense and building rosters for a couple of years now. And UZR really is probably the best thing we have available. Uh, and, you know, we're big fans of UZR. We talk about it a lot. But I would I would imagine, and honestly, I would hope that in 15 years we're not using UZR anymore. I would think that at that point we'll have gotten some kind of advanced, whether it's hit FX or uh, position tracking, GPS in the guy's shoes, uh, whatever it is, some kind of uh, better tracking of fielder positioning, how much they move, how long the ball hung in the air, where we can just get away from saying this ball was in zone X and the probability of that ball being caught in that location was .87. And we were like, you know, uh, Franklin Gutierrez ran uh, 84 feet in 2.8 seconds. That's a lot, you know. Or we, we can actually track uh, where a guy started and where he ended up, and how long it took him, and how long the ball held in the air. And so, that can be our kind of our a, a way to evaluate fielders rather than you know some kind of zone-based system. So I think that maybe some people might be surprised to hear you um, in in one breath, you know, 
or you know, be Dave Cameron, I should say, and at the same time um, discuss the flaws of of UZR. Um, why why would someone be surprised, and why shouldn't they be surprised that you're doing that? Well, I mean, I think uh, Fangraphs and maybe maybe me specifically have become something of a uh, I don't want to say a prophet, but at least some kind of like. Uh, cheerleader for UVR and defensive metrics and trying to get the value of defense to be accepted. But we're not married to uh, these specific numbers. Really, we want the truth about what fielding metrics or what metrics in general tell us the most uh, important things about what actually happened on the field. And so, you know, right now, today, I would say UVR is the best metric of that in 10 or 15 years. I hope that's not true, and I hope that we've gone further, and I hope that Fangraphs has been on the leading edge of pushing forward and you know whether it's just a tweak in the UVR formula or a total overhaul of how we evaluate fielders I always want Fangraphs to be out there presenting the most accurate data we possibly can whether it's UVR or something else now you said you're not married to uh, UZR is that a possibility like if I loved UZR so much would I be able to marry it and I mean does that go through Appleman or does that go through uh, MGL or I mean, yeah, I think uh, you'd have to convince Mitchell Lichtman to maybe become Mormon and uh, perhaps switch teams, and, uh, you know, good luck with that. Okay. Well, I'll put that on my to-do list. Uh, Karuth, we're, uh, we're, we're talking now maybe about some stats that exist now that uh, maybe they exist in an imperfect form, uh, and they're, they're uh, bound to go by the wayside. I don't know how many years, you know, we necessarily mean out. I don't know if it's next year, if it's five, ten years. You know, if it's when uh, we're dead and gone, and uh, robots um, led, led by led by Dave Allen have taken over the world, uh, so I, you're, it's sort of up to you as as far as to pr- project how in the future. But maybe something that exists now that that you sort of see is not, uh, you know, surviving. As far as an advanced stat, or just any stat in general? Well, yeah, you could do an older stat, but I think maybe it's interesting with the advanced stats because. You know, we we typically, at least for me, I know I feel a lot of a great deal of enthusiasm when they first come out. It's like, oh, this is a new toy. This is exciting to play around with. But of course, you know, it's it's a fact that you know every that these things fall by the wayside and, and new things come up in their place. Um, is there something that's maybe ubiquitous that you get sort of frustrated by, and you think people emphasize too much, and that you think they oughtn't? That's a good question that I don't really have a great answer for. Well, uh, I noticed, for example, in, the, I, I've on this podcast, I've uh, cheer, I've cheerleaded for the way you've introduced um, pitchers and looking at a particular series, right? That's coming up, right? And you've sort of broken things down by pitching. I wonder, do you think that maybe more general assessments of pitchers uh, are are things that you're not as excited about anymore? Well, it's hard to say because I don't really. I'm so divorced from sticking with the with the fidelity here uh, theme, but uh, I'm so divorced from the mainstream analysis sometimes that, like, I was I was arguing uh, the Milton uh, the Milton Bradley Carlos Silva trade got brought up again in, in some comment thread that I was I was participating in, and somebody mentioned it, it was like, and Carlos Silva's you know six and zero or whatever he is, and I was like I just, I had no idea like really you people still use wins and losses. And so sometimes it's it's hard for me to just even fathom that some of these stats still get used. But I will say uh, something that gets that gets quoted a lot that drives me batty is uh, a Pythagorean record using uh, a team's run scored and runs allowed, uh, and then plugging into the Pythagorean formula and generating their expected wins and losses from that. That drives me nuts because there's so much. It's it's like. 
what it must feel like to, to Dave or, or to, to Mitchell when people use you, you know, like small sample UZR numbers and then don't provide any sort of context to it. It's just there's so much luck still in, in runs scored and in runs allowed. And one season even is not an, a big enough sample size that people using Pythagorean record without any sort of qualifiers on it is just irritating. And I think it's... I. Even if I just have to do it myself, it's going to go away. No, so so Karuth, I noticed. Uh, I know that you like to sometimes you like to look at base runs. Yes. And then you use as an as a, as an example of, uh, you know, the, it's not a beef with the Pythagorean process. Uh, I think it's a sound process of doing it. It's just the input using just straight runs scored, runs allowed as they, you know, appear on each team's baseball reference page or whatever. Uh, is faulty because there's just so much variance in in run score. A team can, you know, earlier this year the the Rays were hitting like 400 with uh, with runners in scoring position. That's not gonna they're not gonna do that all year. They're not that great of a hitting team, but because they had gotten lucky or flukily good or whatever kind of adjective you want to use in those situations today, they had scored a lot more runs than they would have normally. And so they looked a lot better their, uh, by looking at their Pythagorean record than, say, a run estimator like base runs would have said that they should be. Yeah, I guess that one of the things for me, and and I feel you know blessed because I get to I get to uh, force people like you and Dave Cameron and Zach Sanders you know to come on and talk to me about it and and help me out with this sort of stuff. But I I know that for something like finding the base run standings. Um, I think I, I was uh, sort of poring over the Internet even earlier this week, and I finally found something. It's a website run by a, a guy named James Wright, and he happens to provide a, a, a daily update on you know base run standings, right, and the difference from normal Pythagoreans and difference from uh, normal actual win-loss record, right? But it seems like mm-hmm. some of it, the reason why this isn't always necessarily in the public consciousness or even in the, the saber-minded consciousness is because the numbers just sometimes aren't available. For example, I, Carson Sestouli, would love to see a WOBAR, a regressed WOBA uh, leaderboard. Um, but, you know, I go over to Stack Corner, which is you know, one of the one of the better sites on the Internet. And, you know, because it's not run by, uh, you know, robots who are getting paid, uh, you know, millions of dollars to keep the site open. It's just run by simple men who don't even live in glistening towers like yourself. And get, I don't even get paid, much less millions of dollars, I don't get paid anything to run that site. Add it cost me to run that site. Right, so isn't this sort of the disconnect? Is someone like you, you could probably compute the base run standings if you wanted to. You could probably come up with your own Wolbar leaderboard if you wanted to. But it's just a question of getting that stuff into, like, onto to easily accessible places. Don't you, I mean, don't you think that's, that's part of why people are going to quote Pythagorean win-loss because there's a certain ease of it and people have access to it? Absolutely. That's that's generally the first hurdle is is making and you know going back to the UZR thing and I think and what Dave brought up and that's why Fangraphs got a lot of notoriety is that we were probably the first site that made fielding metrics and consequently like wins and evaluating player by wins uh, easily accessible to anybody and so that's that that is probably the first big hurdle to to get over but uh, that's you know the the ideas are already out there, so it's really just it takes somebody, uh, whether that's me or or anybody, to make that you know publicly available. Uh, that's that's not a lot of work. That's not a huge hurdle to climb. So that's 
part of my faith in believing that uh, things like just straight Pythagorean records going to go by the wayside. Wayside, yeah. You talk a lot about hurdles there. Uh, I don't mm. know. It's, this is not a track and field show, but um, that's something that's legitimate, I guess. I don't have a thesaurus open next to me, and I <laughs> I couldn't think of another word. Barrier. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, Zach Sanders, we're we're talking now about those stats that maybe, uh, whose you know whose lifetime, um, or the, the end of whose lifetime we might you know we might see a, uh, rather soon. Um, uh, you know, again, if if you want to answer this from a fantasy perspective, that'd be great. If you just want to answer it as a interested baseball analyst, that's also fine. What do you uh, what do you sort of foresee there? Predicting what a stat is gonna go by the wayside and be forgotten is, is very difficult because we never know for sure when a new version of it will come out, when something's being developed that will overtake it. And so I think what we really need to focus on more is what could stick around the longest, what has the probably longest shelf life. And those are things most likely like XFIP, I think, because right now it's on a scale that everyone everyone's familiar with. Whether you're a baseball analyst or you're a fan and uses win-losses, I can easily take XFIP and explain it to you. I can say it's essentially ERA but with things we, we know the pitchers can control. And you'd probably understand it really quickly. And so the things that are on very easy-to-define scales and easy to explain are probably going to stick around longer because the general public will want to understand it more than some of the other things that we have available. Can I jump in here for a second with a question? Ruth, yeah. To Zach? Yeah. Uh, from a, a fantasy standpoint, because I never really, uh, being one of uh, kin of Dave and not, not playing fantasy baseball anymore, I don't really address this much, but... There's been some talk recently about, uh, you know, better measurements of relief pitchers' uh, accomplishments, in particular the, the shutdowns and, uh, was it shutdowns and meltdowns? Yeah. I think were the two terms. Do you think there's, whether it's that or something else, do you think uh, eventually that saves are going to go away as a, like a key fantasy baseball category? I don't think we'll ever see saves go away because the whole notion of the whole closer and we need we need somehow to give credit to these guys in, in high leverage situations. And so right now all we have is saves. And I mean, we're starting to see holds become more and more popular. I was using those, I'm thinking five or six years ago before anyone really even heard of them. I was making my friends play in leagues with holds because it's more credit for some of the middle relievers who maybe are, maybe are in higher level situations than we realize. And so until... Shutdowns and meltdowns is a good start, but until we can get it out there and everyone can accept it, and the hardest part is the fantasy community because they're so stuck in their ways with batting average and wins and ERA, that once if we can get them out there and convince them, I think they can use it. But it's it's going to be a long uphill battle. Yeah, and I would like to say that you know the interesting thing is it depends as a fantasy owner uh, and participant in a league. I think that some people view it as as a, a fantasy baseball as something that should mirror baseball, right? And so the things that assess good players uh, should also, you know, should should make their way into the fantasy realm. But there is another way of looking at it, and the, and that's um, something I think that Clausen wrote about maybe a couple months ago now. And that's just as a game that uses stats that are produced in actual baseball, but it's a game un, unto itself with its own rules and its own. Um, you know, sort of economic environment. And so, th- in that sense, is a save a great way of evaluating a pitcher? Obviously not. But it, is a save something that exists in a market? Um, you know, the, in, in you can have some measure of, uh, some way of predicting who's going to have more saves and who's not. That is a fact, you know. So I know that, like, this is actually the first time I've played in a 5x5 five five league 
for some time. And I'm sort of amazed by the way that's like people are always sort of uh, gambling on who uh, is going to be picking up save situations. So, for example, when Ryan Madsen goes down, uh, Sanders, I mean, I don't know, you know, you see that a lot, I assume, right? If uh, when Ryan Madsen goes down, like a big run, or people speculating who might pick up saves in Toronto, that seems like a pretty big part of fantasy baseball, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think that's the biggest part right now, is that's a lot, we have like, I think there's Twitter feeds now, completely de- uh, devoted to the closer watch, you know, this guy's down, who's going to get saves, this guy might get a couple saves, this guy's getting called up, but I think, like you said, there are stats that are produced, and maybe we can get away from the, the thought that it's supposed to mirror real baseball, now we have all the video games and simulations where we can say, well, maybe that's a little more realistic, we can go play that if you want to have pretend to run your own team maybe fantasy baseball we'll have to accept it's just its own entity that we can't change it's its own entity that cannot be changed uh, much like Fangraphs Audio that was an attempt at a segue <laughs> I don't know if it worked uh, let's say goodbye to everyone how about uh, this has been I would say action packed is the way I'm prepared to describe it um, I hope the listeners at home will agree and I hope certainly listener Phil uh, who started this entire absurd experiment will also agree uh Dave Cameron, I'm going to say goodbye to you, but I, once again, appreciate your presence on the pod. Yeah, no problem, Carson. Is there really a place called Zebulon, by the way? You wrote about it on, yeah. on the post. There really is a place called Zebulon. I'm never going there again. It took me four hours to get home because the North Carolina Department of Transportation is run by morons. I think Steve Phillips is actually in charge over there. Okay. Would you trade the, the, the highway system in North Carolina for Steven Strasburg? Uh, yes, I would. Okay. That makes you a little bit better than Steve Phillips then. Uh, Matthew Carruth, we're going to say goodbye to you and, uh, of course, wishing you a happy long weekend up there in the Pacific Northwest where the weather uh, looks to be total crap. Yeah, well, what's new? <laughs> oh, it is terrible. For anyone who's never been to the Pacific Northwest or doesn't live there right now, the weather has been utter crap uh, for, like, the last month, and it will continue to be that way. Ugh, it's so terrible. I, I hate it. It makes me hate my life. Um, anyway, thank you for joining us, Chris, and taking time out of your productive life to do that. Zach Sanders, you're also in the Pacific Northwest. You're also probably uh, sitting under a rain cloud right now. But um, I also wish you Memorial Day, a uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. Do you, do you have uh, sweet plans? Not as of yet. I do not, no. No, but you are a party animal. I think we all know that. Um, and so when the listeners listen to this after Memorial Day, uh, he will know that uh, we've all had a good one. Uh, thank you very much for listening. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you.